0: If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Romans? We are in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses, specifically at verses 4 to 6, but we're really diving into the waters of Romans 6 and chapter 6 and 7. Romans chapter 7 And I want to read verses 1 to 6 And then pray And then we'll dive in Romans chapter 7 verses 1 to 6 The word of God says this Or do you not know brothers For I am speaking to those who know the law That the law is binding on a person Only as long as as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, it's family language, you also have died to the law A new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're here. Genuinely the greatest news in all the world. No hyperbole, no overstatement that any sinner who acknowledges their sin and their inability to save himself and throws themselves by faith into the arms of Jesus will be caught, saved, rescued. And the greatest news is that you're not just in front of us or beside us or behind us, you're in us. And there won't be one moment when we will ever be alone. And so right now I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would awaken our sleepy hearts, even our physically sleepy eyes. You would prevent and protect us from too many distractions and that, God, you would give us your word as a gift and that you would shape us in this moment. Shape us to believe the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of Jesus for his people. Come now we pray. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, for those of you online, I do pray right now. It seems to be the case that the past three weeks of my epic fail has turned into them being able to watch live with all of us. So I'm thankful for that. and so I just wanted to welcome you to actually the sermon portion because it's all cut out right during the music portion. So this is like a new moment for them. They actually hear it all. Now, I was talking to my wife, and uh, we—she was recalling a time when we first had a house where we were in charge of the flowers. And so when we were in charge of the flowers, you plant the flowers, they look beautiful, and then what happens? Winter comes. Let's just make sure we're clear. These are perennials. We plant these flowers and they die. Well, for people who are ignorant about how this whole thing works, you plant them, they die, that seems like a massive waste of money. Like what in the world just happened? And yet, all of a sudden, I was talking to my wife, and these were her words, come springtime, And all of a sudden the very things we thought had died were now coming to life She says, I started geeking out She says, they had to die in order that they might live This is the gospel Creation talks to you about the glory of God I love my wife, I love her She got excited over flowers coming alive because they taught us about God The point was this They had to die in order that they might live. Let's just think in the broadest terms because God uses other images, other experiences in the world to teach us some of these lessons. This lesson is not about death, but about joy. Let's take normal, kind of non-tragic subject of childbirth Whenever you have a normal, non-tragic childbirth, there's two things that happen. One, intense pain, and two, intense joy. Intense pain and intense joy. Now, some of you women who have given birth, forgive me for talking about intense pain like I know it experientially. I'm not trying to say that at all. I just think that those of you who have been through it, you could say amen. Because there's intense pain, and then once you see the child, You basically remember it no more. That's literally what the Bible says in John 16, describing this idea of childbirth. It's not that you forget the pain, but that all of a sudden the joy of the child has eclipsed what you just went through. And there had to be pain in order for there to be joy. Adoption, we've experienced, is the same way. It's a little different in that there's intense emotional pain Or there's an intense pain that has to do with the tragedy of a story that kind of led to some of the things that got to this place. But then there's also the intense joy of finally being called a family, being united together. As Tim Keller said in the Sermon on Joy, he says this, For there to be the joy of a child, there must be the pain of childbirth. And he went on to say what I think our passage teaches us today For there to be the new life of the resurrection, there has to be a death. Paul is teaching us today that in order for us to experience new life, we also have to experience death. There has to be a death that happens in our lives in order that we might experience the newness of life. And this death is a spiritual one. And so what we're going to focus on is three things today. One is we have to die to the law. It's a spiritual death. We have to die to the law. Two, when we die to the law, we belong to Jesus. Belong to Jesus. And three, as we belong to Jesus, we are released into the power of the Holy Spirit. Released from the power of the law into the power of the Holy Spirit. You got the three? Die to the law. When we do, we belong to Jesus. And when we belong to Jesus, we are released into the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives. So let's look at the text, the text that I just read. It says that likewise, verse four, church family, likewise, you have also died to the law. You have died. What does death to the law even mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, and I'm going to overstate, not because I think you don't understand. The law is not obviously picking up physical books and chopping them up in some way. That is not how you kill the law. There is something that is spiritual about this killing. And the readers would get that, that it is spiritual. Because when God comes into the heart, you have a spiritual understanding. Now, let's be clear. The law that he's speaking of is not the first five books of the Bible. Genesis Leviticus, Numbers, 2, that too is called the law. But he's not speaking of the law as a book. He's speaking of the law as individual commands. Okay? Which one is he speaking of? the individual commands that are spelled out in the book of the law. He's not saying we get rid of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. He's saying that the individual commands that are spelled out in the Bible, given to the people of Israel, we die to that. We die to that. Now, who is the we? The law was given as commands to Moses to give to the people of Israel. So these were laws, commands, given to the people of Israel and given to anyone who would want to follow Israel's God. So Jews and Gentiles, anyone who wanted to follow Israel's God, they would have been bound, ruled, governed by the law. And so this group of Jews and Gentiles that Paul is addressing here, who are believers, he says, you died to the law. This law in the lives of the people of Israel and all those Gentiles that wanted to follow Israel's God, this law had jurisdiction, it had ruling power. It was the authority over their lives. In summary, it was, it's what governed them. So I don't know if you've ever taken the drive before. The drive from North Carolina, Raleigh, up to DC. But when you're driving, no matter how you get there, you have to cross state lines. And when you cross out of North Carolina into Virginia, you see several things. One is you'll see Virginia is for lovers, right? Okay, you see that and you just keep rolling. I'm like, okay, that's a neat statement, whatever, let's roll But you also see other things that happen. Sometimes the speed limit will change. What I used to see was also a sign that says, your speed is being monitored by aircraft. (laughs) If that wasn't intimidating because that's how Virginia seeks to enforce their laws. But there's something else that happens. When you cross over out of North Carolina into Virginia, the laws about your cell phone changes. In North Carolina, it is not a law that you can't hold your phone, meaning you can hold your phone while you're driving a car. Once you cross that line, it's against the law to hold your phone. Now it's against the law in both states to text while you drive. There's no to sell, but it is not against the law for anyone over 18 to hold their phone or to make a phone call in the state of North Carolina. When you cross that line, if you're holding your phone, you're breaking the law. Why? Because you entered into a new jurisdiction. There's a new governing body that is taking place once you cross state lines. The fine in Virginia, when you're holding the phone, $125 for the first defense, $250 for the second, just in case you're curious. Why the change? Because it's a new state. It's new jurisdiction. It's new governance. This is what it means to die to the law. When you die to the law, something has happened spiritually. So final, so clear... That you're now under new jurisdiction. You're no longer under the authority of the Mosaic law. But when you go from unbeliever to believer, you are now under the authority of Christ. You are under new jurisdiction. The old law does not govern you. You are governed by a new law. That's what it means to die to the law. You're under new authority. There's three images that are used here in Romans chapter 7. And the first one has to do with this governance and jurisdiction. If you look at it in verse 5 or verse 6, it says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us. What's the next word? Captive. Captive. This is the idea of something that is your authority. And what happens when you break the authority you go to prison, right? Or there's some penalty. There is a penalty for breaking the law and it is a captivity. And the law captures you. So this is the first image. The image of from captivity to freedom. And when you die to the jurisdiction of the law, it says you are released from that law. That is you are set free. You follow that? Set free. No longer captive but set free, a new authority. This speaks to why we needed to be set free in the first place. We were captives to the law. That's not a flattering picture. You're captives to something. And so all of us, I think, feel that sense of restraint if you're captivated by something that's different than what this is. This is an imprisonment. And you want to be set free. Look at verse 5. Why in the world do we want to be set free from the law? Why is Paul saying we died to the law? Look at verse 5. Because while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Let's take each phrase. Living in the flesh. This means an unbeliever, one who is not a Christian, one who is not in Christ, one who has not submitted their life to Jesus and his ways, they are what's called living in the flesh. Those who are in Christ, they would say, that was my old self. It's living in the flesh. And when we live in the flesh, let's be clear, the law crushes us. The law crushes us when we are not in Christ. Because, it says, our sinful passions. What are those sinful passions? The cravings in our heart for me first. Me first. This is the sinful passion. It's getting ahead at all costs. It's craving something that we don't have. Never being content. It's loving things more than God. It's our sinful passions. And it's kind of like a bear that sees food. It sees food and it goes after it. And then what happens is, let's say you don't want it to get your food. You try to get in the way. You try to get that food from the bear. And the bear will not be happy with you. All of a sudden, it will go after you because it wants the food. And this is exactly what happens with our hearts. Anything that stands in the way of what we want, we'll go after it until we can alleviate the problem and satisfy the cravings of the heart. It is a sinful passion. And so what stood in the way of sin? For the people of Israel and those who chose to follow Israel's God, what stood in the way of sin was the law. The law was meant to be a restraint. It was meant to keep them from doing what they wanted to do. And every time they hit the law, their hearts were inflamed. And this inflammation is not solved by ibuprofen. It is inflamed. It is aroused. It is intensified. It is angry because something stood in the way. So, he says, similarly... what happens when the law confronts our hearts. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be restrained. We don't want intervention. Romans 7 tells us the law also put names to our sin. We'll see it next two weeks when we continue on in the book of Romans is that the law puts names to sin. While we were coveting, While we were lying, while we were stealing, we were just living it up. But now the law says this is lying, and now all of a sudden there's a line in the sand that says when you cross over that, you're guilty. It's called a trespass. We are spiritual trespassers going into a territory we should not go into. It's what the law does. It draws a line in the sand. This is stealing. This is coveting. And now all of a sudden our hearts are even more inflamed because now we see that we're bigger sinners than we realize we were. The law exposes sin. So the result according to verse five and the entire Old Testament is that the law exposed sinful cravings in our heart and inflamed our heart like the bear being impeded from its cravings. And our rage and our fear and our lusts, they just kept being exposed and so we were captive to our cravings. Captivated. And instead of the law of setting us free, it only imprisoned us more. What's the summary? An external law couldn't change an internal problem. The law was actually killing us. Not because the law was bad, but because sin was so bad. Instead, whenever we met the law, hearts were inflamed. And the fruit of our lives led to death and death and death and more death. Anyone who chooses to live their life without God and anyone encourages others to live their life without God, you are paving a path towards death. This is what happens when the law is how you seek to live. Something external will not change you. So just like planting beautiful flowers outside underneath the intensity of the sun and the heat, if you don't put water on it, it'll die. The law was the intensity of the heat. And there was no water of the Holy Spirit to give encouragement. And so it leads to death. So we need to be released from the law. You follow this. This is our problem before Jesus. Many of you are believers. So you've walked this journey, you've been set free from the law, you've died to sin. But for some of you who are not followers of Jesus, you've got to understand this is what happens. The more we try to fix ourselves, the worse it gets. The more captive we are. And so he says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. You see that? Through the body of Christ. So there are three images he's using. From captivity to freedom. And now he's using from death to life. And he's using an image of marriage. Where do I get the idea of marriage? That's the summary of last week's sermon. Let me just read it for us. Romans chapter 7 verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So the law is binding while you live. The only remedy to get out from underneath the law is to die. Because the punishment, the just punishment for sin is death. So, now Paul gives an illustration. Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. He gives an illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released. You should circle those words. I wish I could like circle it like, in front of you right now. Death, she is released. If the husband dies, she is released. So death equals release. That's the first lesson. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. If her husband dies, she is free to marry another. This is not meant to be the entire teaching of marriage in the scriptures. It's meant to be an illustration of these two things. Death leads to release. Release to marry another. What does that have to do with the law? Well, in the same way, death to the law means release from the law and in the same way release from the law means freedom to marry another. That means to be united to Christ. So Paul is telling us all believers you have The law is no longer your governing body. You're not under its jurisdiction. The Mosaic law, all those individual laws, they are not over you. You have a new boss because you have died to the law through the body of Christ. And now we belong to Jesus. Now, how did we die to the law? It says, verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. Can we say those words? Through the body of Christ that's how we died to the law and it says that you may belong to another he's saying this has already happened. do you see that you have died the readers of this believers in Rome they have died this is he's telling them a fact about their lives and I'm telling you if you're a believer a fact about your life you have died to the law you're no longer under its jurisdiction You now have died when Jesus died. You belong to him and he's over you. You're in Christ. Uniquely, there's only one place where the word Christian is used in the scriptures. It's in the book of Acts. When the Bible talks about being a Christian, it says you're in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're in him. You're not in the law. So how do we escape? How do we escape the inflammation of our hearts? The only escape is through death. And that's the good news. The good news that Paul lays out here is that Jesus died. Jesus was the perfect law keeper that we could not be. Jesus took all of our law breaking, all of our God betraying on his shoulders. And he experienced a pain that we will never understand. He was dancing with the Father. The images of Proverbs 8. He was in great delight with the Father. There was such a unity. And in Amidst of denying himself and of intense love, he comes to us to say, I love you this much, and he walks the road of suffering and he dies in our place. Our sins upon his shoulders. That's the miracle of the cross. He was punished in our place. God's wrath poured out upon him so that God distanced himself from Jesus so that we would not experience the distance of God if we trust in him. This is the this is the gospel. How do we escape? How do we escape death that the law brings upon our lives? Romans 6, 23. The very last verse before we dive into Romans 7. The wages of sin is death. That means how do we escape? We acknowledge I deserve death. This is how you become a follower of Jesus. You say, I deserve death. I deserve death and I deserve separation from God for my sins and I cannot save myself but then faith says I receive what I cannot do for myself I receive the free gift of God to me in Jesus Christ I place my joy and my hope in your hands Jesus and I trust you to take me that's why the verse ends The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if a death has occurred, we are released from the law. We have died. We have died when Jesus died. We died in him by faith. But that's why Paul has shaped this whole thing. This is the one question that's being answered in two parts. And this is the second part of the answer. Here's the crisis. Paul's question is if we have been set free this big, if the freedom is this great, if we are no longer under the restraining power of the law, but we are under grace, how in the world are we not just going to keep sinning? Don't miss the tension. I'll be forgiven. Incentive to stay holy If you're not Under the restraining effects of the Mosaic law but you are Under grace that forgives And justifies sinners and gives you peace With God not because you do for God But because God did for you What in the world How will this freedom not lead to Just living how you want to live And the answer is Because you belong to Christ the image that came to my mind was the reason I use a leash on my dog. If you have a leash on my dog, some, some leashes, there's a collar, and then you clip to the collar. Some leashes, you could actually just take a rope, put it around the neck, and where every time that the, the rope of the dog pulls, it actually tightens around the dog's neck. I don't recommend that, but you could do it that way. And that's a picture of the law every time the law tried to restrain and hold back it kept captive and it actually choked out life it was leading to death it was like a noose around the neck it was tight around that dog that was the law but as an owner i have a i have a thought if i take the leech off of my dog something's gonna happen my dog is a very loving dog but My dog is a very stupid dog. And so my dog is going to run in front of cars. My dog is going to, in full love, jump on you and jump up on you. My dog is not a very smart dog, but she is so cute. So why do I have a leash? It's to restrain her from going into the road. So the question Paul is asking is, If we take the law off, if the leash is released, how will we not just run in front of a car? How will we not just live it up and do whatever we want to do? And the answer is because there is an internal restraint. His name is Jesus. We now belong to Christ. If released from the law, what keeps us from sinning?
1: Are we to sin,
0: he says? because we are no longer under law, but under grace. The answer is the old has gone. This is not a self-improvement plan. The new has come. We are a new creation. The spirit of God dwells within his people. We're brand new. We're not left alone and we belong to Christ. This is the language of union with Christ. It's a new identity. We belong to him. And let's just stop for a second. Don't rush past that word. Belonging is one of the most powerful, intense emotions and feelings that anyone can have. We will alter our lives in order that we might belong. These are the the words that are attached to belonging. We want acceptance. We fear rejection. We carry deep shame when we feel unwanted. The negative narrative can scream in our head, I'm unlovely. I'm not worth people's time. I am discarded goods. And sometimes the volume is so loud on that story, you do not know how to get out from underneath it. And sadly, you talk to yourself a lot more than almost any other voice. And if this is the ongoing narrative, What is the answer? What will turn the volume down to this longing to belong? To this shame that comes with being and feeling unwanted or this sense of rejection? Here by faith, you can know this, that you belong. Not because of what you do, not because of your merit, not because of your loveliness, but because you trust Jesus and you love him, and you believe he did everything in your place. You trust him, and you belong. We fit. Finally, there's inclusion in God's family, and he says this. He looks at you, and he says, you are lovely. I love you. The narrative totally changes. He says, love, treasured, fought for, valuable, worthy, accepted, You need to turn the volume up on what Jesus says about you here in Romans chapter 7. You have died to the law so that you can be married to another. That is, that you can belong to Christ. We belong to him. He is our representative. When he died, we died. He is our protector from the wrath of God. I'm reading a wonderful book. I wholeheartedly recommend it. And you'll hear several of my illustrations that I have used in the past coming from this book, Brandon Wilborn's Union with Christ. But he talks about this idea of Jesus. When we are united to him, we're united to him because he's our representative. Some of you are gonna watch the Panthers today. Yes, go Panthers. Yes, thank you, Braggies, for supporting it. I appreciate that. Go Panthers. Isn't it weird? that when the Panthers win, I will say, my Panthers won. And I had nothing to do with it. Now, sometimes when I'm watching my team, my family, when I'm watching Tennessee football, what normally happens is when I walk into the room, they do horribly, and when I leave, they do really well. So there's this kind of ongoing suspicion in my house that my presence leads my team to lose little do we acknowledge that the university of tennessee is just a really bad football team okay now they won yesterday really big so like i'm I'm encouraged but when you watch the panthers and i hope they win today when they win we're willing to use language like we won because that's our team but we didn't play they were our representatives. have you ever wondered why when you read the bible the stories of David and Goliath. You got two massive armies there. And then what happens? Two people go out. David represents the people of Israel. Goliath represents the Philistines. And this battle between two people will decide the whole faith. If David wins, Israel wins. If Goliath wins, Philistines win. Why? Because they were the representative of the people and the people were united to their one representative. Jesus is our one representative. He is the one who came as an Israelite boy. He grew up perfect. God himself died in our place. He looked like he had lost the victory. And instead, three days later, he overcame the grave. He won the victory and his victory is our victory. He's our representative and we are united to him. So when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. We are united to him. It's a mystery, but it is the most profound thing you will ever know from the Bible. Christ is in us. His victory, our victory. His death, our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 6, we died with Christ. We've been baptized into Christ's death. Verse 4, chapter 6, we've been buried with him by baptism into death. Next week, i'm going to do a sermon on the church and we're going to do a baptism next week and when we do the baptism you're going to see people go under the water because this is a picture of a spiritual reality that you have died to sin and that you raised up you are new in life you've been raised just as christ was was raised this is the beautiful message of the gospel and paul is teaching us remember the overarching question are we going to keep sinning? If we're not under law, but we're under grace. If we've been released from the power of the law and we're no longer under jurisdiction, will we keep on sinning? The answer is no, because we belong to Christ. What keeps us from sinning is not a new law, but a new heart. What keeps us from sinning is not a new law, but a new marriage, a new identity, new life in Christ. So when it says we died to the law, what did we die to? It means we died to the law's jurisdiction over our lives. That is the gospel. Jesus now rules us, not from the outside, but from the inside. Because the law's deficiency, was it was external. It couldn't change the heart. Jesus comes and lives inside the heart. There's a new reality that's happening. We died to the law. We now have new governance. It's the spirit of God. And that is why he says, as one of the answers to when we keep sinning, he says no, because you are slaves to God and not slaves to sin. You will submit your life to God. That's now the new bent of your life if you are in Christ. But we not only died to the law, but we died to the penalty of sin. Some of you are terrified of death and you're terrified of future condemnation. When you died to the law and you belong to Christ, you need not be afraid anymore. Because the penalty, the just penalty of your sin has been paid for. That's why there's an eruption in Romans 8 when he says, therefore you are now no no longer under condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to the next verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's a new law in town. There's a new governor in town. It's the law of the spirit of life. He set you free. And that's why Paul erupts. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The destiny is different. You need not fear being condemned because you've been set free by the blood of Christ. And so we need not fear death because now we've been given the promise of eternal life. That's why he says in Romans 6.5, if you've been united with him in a death like his, You will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've got a new home, a new heavens and a new earth. Something new is coming. And so it says in verse 4, we belong to another. Let me just read verse 4 of chapter 7 again. Likewise, church family, you have died to the law, no longer over you and its jurisdiction over you. You died to the law through the body of Christ When Christ died, you died So that you might belong to another Who's that? Another It is the one who was raised from the dead That's Jesus Christ And when you were united to him You were raised in order that You might not bear fruit for death Which is what was happening under the law But you would bear fruit for life So Let's summarize this You died to the law and now you belong to Jesus. You died to the law, you died to the penalty that sin demands because Jesus took that penalty for you. There's one more death that happens, which I pray is really encouraging. It's a death that says you are no longer enslaved to the power of sin. You have been released, you've been released into the power of the Spirit. Answering the question, how will we not keep sinning now that we're not under the law? Answer, because the Spirit of God is here. He's in our hearts. If the law, we've been released from the law, how will we walk with Jesus? It's because the Spirit of God has captured us. So, when the Spirit of God comes in, it's God's grace. God's grace sets us free from sin, God's grace sets us free from sin's penalty. His grace sets us free from the law, and His grace is not a nameless force. His grace is a person. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like mighty rushing waters, that's an image that's used in the scriptures, like a mighty river that rushes through your heart, always supplying you with what you need to walk in God's ways. You're never alone again. You're never left to, it's not like you were saved by grace not of yourself, but then now you're kept by yourself. That's not the story of the gospel. You were saved by grace and you are kept by grace. It's the grace of the Holy Spirit. You've been released into the power of the Spirit of God. And where do I get this from our text? Look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way the way of the Spirit, not in the way of the old written code. That is, code word for the Mosaic wall we are now not who we will be but we are now different than who we were we are now not who we will be but we are now different than who we were when we trusted in Jesus and the reason we are not now who we will be is because the spirit of God is at work in us. Randy Wilbert tells this story Tells the story of his grandparents. His grandparents were married, very young age. They ended up staying married for 70 years. And I'm just like amazing. Married for 70 years. He called them deer and hacko. Hacko because that was as good as it got, trying to say grandpa, I think when he was a little kid, Heko called her dear because Heko didn't want her to be called, She, he said she was too pretty to be called grandma. Now I don't think that that has to be mutually exclusive for those of you who are called grandma, but this guy did, so he said you'll call her dear. So dear and Heko, after so many decades together, they could finish each other's sentences, they knew each other's stories, They could tell verbatim what was going to come next. There was this deep sense of they felt each other's joys and pains and successes and failures. They loved each other. They pursued each other. They cared for each other. They had some of the same mannerisms. She could tell when he was about ready to tell a joke. It was just this sense of they knew each other after all this time. Now, here's the question. After 70 years of marriage, were they more legally married on year 70 than they were in year one? No, they were never more married than they were on day one. But in year 70, was something different about their marriage? Was there a deeper intimacy? Was there a deeper experiences? Was there a deeper relationship? Was there ability to know and to finish each other's sentences? This is the picture of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. We are not who we will be, but we are also not who we were. God has changed us. His Spirit of God lives inside of us and He is making us new. He is. You might not feel it, but He is making us new. And when you look back after 10 years, when you look back after 20 years, you realize you're not the same person. He is at work. And it's an invitation into intimacy with God. And so for those of you who are afraid, afraid that suffering might uproot your faith, or afraid that what if I sin too badly? Where does my assurance come from? Friends, your assurance, your salvation was never because you did for God. And so, therefore, your ability to stay is not because you can do for God. Your assurance is that Jesus has done for you. And that this reality is your reality. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You are empowered. You are released. You are set free. And you are loved. And so, I pray you remember. It's not without the pain of childbirth that you can have the joy of the child. It's not without the pain of fighting against your sin. Without that, you won't get the joy of walking with Jesus. But with that pain, with that struggle, comes this sense that you have a deeper joy and a deeper intimacy with the Lord. And you will never have the wonders of the new life until there is a spiritual death. Many of you have experienced it. You just need to believe it. You need to know your love and live in that reality. For some of you, you've never known it. And I invite you to surrender your life into Jesus's hands. Acknowledge your sin and trust him. Ask him to change you. And you too will experience a death. A death to the law, a death to the penalty of sin. You'll be made new to a new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that there is a newness that we're walking Father, we have been united to Christ. And I pray that we never get over it. I pray that this is something that we constantly think on, constantly reflect on. That we are not left alone. The Spirit of God within us producing the fruit of life. So God, I just ask that you would produce the fruit of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, and peace, and patience a sense of kindness and humility, a sense of goodness, that is integrity, a sense of faithfulness and courage that you will grant us self-control. Father, we pray that you would give us the ability to walk, to walk in a confidence that you love us. We are treasured, we are valuable. We are yours and we belong. We don't have to work to belong. We belong because of faith in Christ. Lord, I ask that you would turn down the volume of self-condemnation. Turn down the volume of shame. and Turn up the volume on the path of sin being a path of destruction. river running in our lives. It's the supply of the Holy Spirit that will never run dry. There will never be one thing we face that will be too big for you. I pray that, Father, you would just cause that to resound in our minds that